Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means here in the concourse at Ohio Stadium. We've been kicked out of the press box after Ohio State's 45-21 win over Florida Atlantic. We're going to get to your tech subscriber questions. The post-game pods will be questions from tech subscribers only, so get subscribed at projecttechs.com slash Buckeye Talk, $3.99 a month. Guys, we got like 150 questions, so we are going to go quick. We're going to cover a lot of ground. You know we come back on Wednesday with a thoughtful, overloaded, two-hour Buckeye talk. We're going to try to keep this to around 45 minutes at the most. Hi, Doug. Are we sure Dobbins is as good as we think? I had my outrageous prediction. J.K. Dobbins, over 200 yards. He ran for like 91. Guys, is he as good as we think? Or, Nathan, you had brought up the idea the other day of like, you know, you're making these gigantic predictions. The dude wasn't that good last year. No, he's fine, but it, how many carries it taken to get to 91 yards? 21. Yeah, that's that's pretty adequate at best. I'm actually writing a story in Ohio State's running game, so I'm going to keep this really brief. I think he's better than the way he played today, and I think he's better than the way he played last season. But it's going to take him to just kind of go. Like they, I'm just rewatching the game very quickly after we watched the game live. He's still dancing around a little bit the way that, you know, Coach Alfred said he was doing a lot last year. He's not really running straight, but whenever he just put his head down and went through a hole and made something happen, it usually worked out in his favor, and they were seven or eight yard runs instead of two or three yard runs. We'll see, but right now there's more, you know, on tape, on paper, there's more of J.K. Dobbins being just fine than there is whatever he did as a freshman. And then usually when this stuff happened, it's like Master Teague came in in garbage time and averaged 6.1 yards per carry, broke off a 21-yarder after J.K. Dobbins averaged 4.3 yards a carry, and then everybody says, like, oh, look yeah, at but that it, guy. It's also garbage time for Florida Atlantic's defense for some of that as well. Also, garbage time for Florida Atlantic's defense was the first quarter. <laughs> Fair point. I don't think they had a non-garbage time until, like, the third quarter. We'll probably get into this. It didn't feel like, as much as I think the Dobbins field's zone read can be very dangerous, it didn't feel like... It's not there yet. It wasn't always the right reads. The blocking wasn't always great. I think among the things that are a work in progress, that's one of them. Again, we're not going to get to all of them. We're going to get to as many as we can. I'm starting with the people who sent their questions first. So 
If you want to get into the podcast and the post game, send your questions early. Is this zone defense the answer from the 864 area code? The defense obviously hasn't given up any big plays, but it seems like there are lots of soft spots that good teams could feast on. I was watching personnel in the secondary all game. I did not really watch, honestly, how they deployed. I thought Florida Atlantic's passing game was practically non-existent. They didn't really try to hit anything. They finally started hitting some quick slants and stuff later in the game. To beat Ohio State, you have to hit them inside. You can't run wide, and you can't like throw to the outside. You have to hit them with quick slants, and you have to run inside up the gut, and teams never figure it out in time. I found it very hard to get any kind of feel for the Ohio State secondary because I felt like Florida Atlantic was not in a position to test them. Did you guys get a feel? Well, I thought when Florida Atlantic started making some strides offensively, it was doing what you're talking about. It's like hitting stuff down the seams you know, on the interior of the Ohio State defense. So, I, But I don't know that that was necessarily some sort of failure or some sort of, I don't know if it was a, a weakness in the scheme itself. I think maybe some of it was just an in-game adjustment by Florida Atlantic that realized kind of what the other thing you're talking about, which is their backs are not going to get outside on a, on a deep, on defenders like what Ohio State has. They, they will in the Conference USA, but they're not going to do it against Ohio State. I think this week was to see what the offense kind of looks like you saw a floor and you saw a ceiling a little bit. I think next week's going to be a better test to say, to have, be able to say that for the defense just because the talent on the offensive level is going to be better. Luke, Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats coming in next week. It's again, it's like one of those – I don't think my answer to every question can be, I didn't watch that part. Um, but this is going to be it again from the 706 area code. Is this offensive line as bad as it looked on TV? No push, no intensity. I thought they did get some push. I think it might have been the Fields Reed touchdown. Somebody cleared out. I think like the, the interior cleared of the line cleared out a giant hole. Yes. But then beyond that, it felt like it, they weren't getting great push sometimes. I, combination of they had their moments, and when they had their moments, Ohio State went up twenty-eight to nothing. But also, it looks like everything is still a work in progress. From you know. Some of the decisions that Justin Fields made, I think some of those he just needs to get rid of the ball quicker. I think the offensive line did his job. It's just you know he's holding on to the, to the ball a little longer than he should have, especially on those crossing routes. So I think it's a combination of Fields making quicker decisions, but also the offensive line just needs to be a little bit better. And let's not forget it's an offensive line where you've really only got one returning starter. You've got a grad transfer. You've got a first-time starter at center. I mean, there, there's still that, – that is a unit that – had a lot of growth in it. It's one of those where you would think that maybe from week one to week two, you could see a big jump just because of the familiarity that they're now going to have. From the 6-1-4, it looked like Fields missed a couple reads in the second half. One for sure when Garrett Wilson was open across the middle. He means reads in the passing game. And also the run game looked flat. Um, I thought he missed some. I thought there was one on a crossing route. I think it might have been Ben Victor. Um, I thought he missed some. He just looked reluctant to throw it. And we lived through the JT Barrett era where JT would not let it go. JT double pumped and wouldn't let it go. Justin was just looking and deciding not to do it. Did you guys feel like you saw that him making almost, I guess there's a difference. And is there a difference between like, and this is not the right wording. Is there a difference between being afraid to throw it and like looking at it and making the conscious decision of, you know what, that might be there. But there's a chance chance it's not there, so the heck with it. I'm not going to risk it. There's you know a, what I mean? The fine line between cowardice and caution, kind of. You know. Oh, here, let me let me boil down Doug's super long, <laughs> boring thing into like four words and I'm be glad you pithy. Did that. I'm glad you yeah. did that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Nathan, if I could yes. go back in time and do it, we would. You know, that these these wouldn't be two and a half hours. We long. did we did a video today. <laughs> 
And and Nathan said a funny joke after the video, and I was like, "Why didn't you say that during the video?" And Nathan was like, "Because you kept talking." I'll try. And then you just stopped, and then you just cut it off, and so we were just done. This is gonna be fun. But since I have a chance to talk, what I'm gonna say is, yes, I think he did miss some. I think he did miss some throws. I but. One of the other things that we don't necessarily know when we're watching a game, and this is why the, the post game can sometimes be important, is Ryan Day brought up that Florida Atlantic was doing something that that Ohio State had not really done a lot in practice against Fields, which was only leaving three down, dropping eight guys, and, and making him throw into some really cloudy windows. And I think that probably affected some of that. I think this is a fundamental difference between him and. Dwayne Haskins. The ta- let's just take talent out of the window. You got a pro style quarterback. You got a dual threat quarterback. One, eh, I'm going to take off. The other one, I'm going to fit it in there. We saw with Dwayne Haskins last year, especially when he got pressured. Well, he's throwing. He's getting rid of it. He's he's running to get rid of the ball. That's anytime he's scrambling to get rid of the ball. As Justin Fields starts scrambling, well, it's going downfield, and you saw that sometimes. Which I see it. I'm not sure, so I'm just going to take off because I'm sure about this. While with Dwayne Haskins is, I see it, and I'm sure about that, so I'm just going to get rid of it. Uh, again, work, there's a lot of work in progress. Um, I, we got, like, more than, a, whatever, 120, 130 questions, and I just, like, ran through a bunch, and it's like the, there were, like, nine questions in a row. They were all the same question about the offensive line. People have very – people are very interested in the offensive line, and I get that. I will say – it took a long time last year for the offensive line to come together. And then by the Michigan game, it was one of the great performances in recent Ohio State history. How dominating that offensive line, which again had Demetrius Knox, not an NFL player. Malcolm Pridgen, not an NFL player. Michael Jordan now starting in the NFL, but he's playing out of position. They got it together for Michigan. Like, I hope they don't wait 12 weeks to get it together this year, right? It's, you know, they have four new starters, but. I think they have better upside talent. I'm very curious, as everybody asks these questions, like how long we think it might take for them to reach a point where with four new starters they look really good. Yeah, I, I, I would caution people. If you go out, you can do some. I don't have the, I don't have it at my fingertips. But I think if you do some searches, there have been a lot of things written over time about the how offensive line cohesion makes a difference. You know, five guys starting together and playing together, more than starting together, but just a group that plays together for a long time just the, the communication that develops there, the tendencies you learn from the guy next to you, that does make a difference. You've seen statistical examples of, of teams that improved over time as more guys played together when all other things mostly stayed equal. So I was kind of – Kevin Wilson talked a little bit about this last week as you know the offensive coordinator but also a guy who's coached a lot of offensive line over his time. Um, it's something that he thinks – again, it's, it's something that you have to build, and they're still early in that process. It's like you know Jeff Halfley the other day – made a good point about how college teams don't get the four ludicrous preseason games that NFL teams get where you get to iron out all these wrinkles there. You just jump right in the fire. And I think this offensive line growth is, is one of the things that I sort of expected you'd see some wrinkles today. I, I especially, I know someone mentioned in a question from the two, three, nine on the offensive line that fields got hit a couple times. I think he yeah. almost acknowledged that one of the hits he took, he was sort of like, man, I haven't been hit in a while. He did. He, he, it was in the first quarter. It was on an incompletion to Olave on the sideline that went off his fingertips. He didn't see that because he was flat on his back because he got absolutely popped on that play. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, but I also wonder in a weird way, as long as he comes out at healthy, they probably needed that too. He needed to take some shots having not been, you know, in a game, a real game in a while. Here's a, the major point here. This starting offensive line has been together for a month. None of the, a lot of these guys, like 
Jonah Jackson didn't get here till the summertime, so he's not right. a part. He doesn't have the cohesion from all spring. It's not like this line has had from January to now, and it's like, oh my god, they still look like crap. No, it's been a month. Let's see what happens. Let's give them four or five games to get some real cohesion, blocking somebody other than the people that wear the same colors as them, and then I think we can get a better judgment on them. The, the weird thing is, I do think a lot of times with the offensive line, and there was, I think there was a miss, it was a missed blitz pickup or something that I think Fields got whacked. I think Josh Allaby was in the game at left tackle at that point. Again, that's your backup left tackle. Right. Um, he played a little bit, Thayer Munford still being eased back in. But a lot of times when an offensive line doesn't quite have it together, they love to run block. So you get let them run block, you let them, you assert your will if you miss some blitz pickups or like they're stunting or there's doing some things where there's miscommunication and pass blocking i think that's normal for a young offensive line i guess i was a little surprised with as talented as these guys are bowen's a big tackle you know josh myers is a big healthy guy it's at center that it's like okay josh myers run was a great run blocker his whole high school career he had to learn how to pass pro like the idea of like well maybe that even in game one i thought maybe that could have been better because it just like lean on the dude we're going to run J.K. They ran J.K., but it didn't feel like they just leaned on dudes all that often. And don't forget, they also had a lot of additional possessions where you're playing 12 personnel. You've got extra tight ends on the field, and one of the reasons why the tight ends are on the field is because of the strides that Kevin Wilson says that they've made as blockers. That's the reason why they feel more comfortable using the tight ends the way they are, partially. Again, Stephen, we're going to direct a lot of the J.K. stuff to you because you're getting this story ready on J.K. J.K. did not come out and talk to us, but Stephen talked to a lot of other people about J.K. From the 513, how did you rate Dobbins' day, and did he will he provide the leadership security blanket that he's supposed to, even if his stats through three quarters were kind of pedestrian? So I, the way I'm taking that question is, do you gain something out of being able to hand the ball to a veteran tailback when you have a young quarterback and a young offensive line, even if it's not great? Like, it wasn't awful. You know, he aver- he didn't average two yards per carry. He averaged four and a half. And that even – they moved the ball a little bit. They didn't have real – you know, necessarily productive march down the field, 12-yard t- – 12-play touchdown drives. But did they get something out of that that even the effort, the attempt, did something that will help this offense round into shape? We're going to take the fumble out of this because that's the one blip on what J.K. Dobbins did today. This was a – if I'm going to grade it, I'm going to give it a C because of what's needed from him. He's going to be there every down back, and he can be there every down back. 20, 21 carries for nine, 20 carries from 91 yards isn't a bad day. It's just he's J.K. Dobbins, and we've seen him do better. So because of that, it's a C. If this – if this is a new, if this was a new, say Marcus Crowley was in his first year as a starter and his first game, he had 91 yards and 20 carries. That's a pretty good day for a guy who hasn't already shown he can do better. I'm not worried about J.K. Dobbins being better, especially as this line gets cohesive. I think as for, as Jake, I'm, I'm sorry, if, as Justin Fields becomes a better decision maker in the read there, some of those J.K. Dobbins bad runs were, Justin Fields should have kept the ball. Yes, some of the reads, I I think the reads hurt both of them. Yeah, like it's going to be dangerous when they figure it out. But right now, until they until it it gets figured out, there's going to be some runs where J.K. Dobbins gets the ball when he shouldn't have gotten the ball, and he goes for one or two yards because Justin Fields just read it wrong. And that's not blaming Justin Fields completely, but well, at the end of the day, he's the one making a decision. So as his decision making gets better, as the line gets better, you'll see Dobbins yards per carry go up here's a question if you go back to the start of this game and for some reason jk dobbins just isn't even on the roster this is if you give those 20 carries to mccall does he get 91 yards maybe 
with the way that yeah in, in like, this game yeah but almost like so like, like so, Big Ten back X yeah, I probably think, gets ninety one yards. It's a see yeah. a best for Dobbins today. I think he's got to be a lot a lot better. I mean the the question of like are you worried or whatever the phrasing was or whatever just Steven says like if you're worried about J.K. Dobbins or not you said you're not worried no uh, I, the- I'm like a little worried. Like as a guy who predicted him to run for almost two thousand, you should definitely that's, that's, you should definitely be worried about that. I told you, you should, should have been worried be about worried. that the night you yes. said. Yes, <laughs> but overall, no. But anybody expecting two thousand yards? Yes, because that's that's a lot of yards. But, like, but you joined me on that the other day. Like I, I I expected you only get twelve of these regular season games, right? Right. Like we said, there's no preseason. I thought he was going to come out and kick some booty. I really did. I thought he was going to come out and be like, bang, put my foot in the ground, yeah. run people over. He had the, the the run he had late in the game where That's he – it looked like he scored. They reviewed it, and they put it up the one. He yeah. got hit. He broke a tackle. He lowered his shoulder pads. Ryan Day really likes to talk about his backs lowering their shoulder pads and being tough. I think somebody – like he did that late in the game. I, I think a coach probably came over and got in his ear and said, lower your stinking shoulder pads and break a tackle yeah, but and he- stop trying to cut. But he didn't look – he didn't look close to dominant. He just looked regular. He had some of those – that wasn't his first one. I think that was the best one. But he had some other ones in the first and second quarter, but he also had some dance around moves. I think with the 2,000-yard thing, let's just like kind of address that for a minute. <laughs> let's talk about yeah. I think how ridiculous – It's not ridiculous. I don't think we took into consideration that there needs to be – Mass improvement in the way Justin Fields, the way the read option is read. Because I think you've asked Justin Fields about this multiple times. Can you read it? He says he's good. He says he's really good at it. I don't know. But it's also one of those things where, again, I think now you have film of yourself playing against an opponent who isn't the same guys that you live with and are in the locker room with. I mean, this there's a lot of growth that can happen between week one and week two, especially for a quarterback who's playing in a new system and is kind of doing some of this stuff for the first time. That's one area where I, I'm very intrigued to see what happens between week one and week two, just in terms of those. And it may only be and it's, it's four or five decisions per game, but they can be pretty critical ones. But I think I think that's one area you can see a jump. And it is funny, again, uh, I love the idea of them appreciating some former Buckeyes sometimes as a result of the guys that come after him, right? And I always talk about this, but JT really could read it and JT made really good decisions and JT Barrett wasn't the fastest guy but he almost always made the right call and he was very gifted and natural and smart in that mesh point moment and today Justin Fields made it look difficult JT made it look easy for so long and you sort of take it for granted because it's like well he's got Ezekiel Elliott or he's got Curtis Samuel or he's got these dudes or he's got J.K. Dobbins well like if but you still, in that split second, it makes sense. I think I, I was assuming they were going to be good at it from the start because Justin Fields, as you said, said he's good at it. But but part of it is because JT Barrett was really good at it, and I think it's going to take a while to get them to that point, which is fine. Somebody from the 239, multiple questions. Are the Bucks a zone-only secondary now? Again, I didn't zero in on that aspect of it, but I know I would listen to the radio show the other day. I felt like... Because I had just written about the, the they're going to disguise coverages and they're going to do different things. And somebody called into the Ryan Day radio show and said, like, oh, are you guys not going to play press man anymore? Because I had, like, a line in that story of, like, they used to be all press man. They're going to do all this all this other crazy stuff. 
as I almost felt like sometimes maybe that person just read my story, decided to call Ryan Day. Are they? Are you not going to play press man anymore? And Ryan was like, No, we're press man. So then, like, I think they didn't do that. You know, I think that wasn't what they were today necessarily. Like, I, I, I want to rewatch it again, but again, Halfley wants to be multiple. And he said when I talked to him after the game, he just said, like, I, I talked about how they moved a lot of guys in and out of the defense, but they played Arnett, Okuda, and Fuller practically every snap until they put the backups in in the fourth quarter. And he was like, I was just trying to get those guys some action because, like, they weren't really testing them at all. So I would just – I don't think they're all anything. They're not all zone. They're not all – they're certainly not all zone. They're not all press man. They're, they're multiple. But I just think it was such a bad team – to get a read on their secondary. And some of that can be dictated by the matchups you're getting for the personnel, the scheme the other team is playing. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think you could – it's it's too early to make a call one way or not. One way or the other on that, I think you'll know more this time next week. How does Ryan Day explain the sense of urgency falling off a cliff from the 614? We came out gangbusters, then what happened? What did you guys think the way Ryan Day talked about that? Did you think he seemed a little bit concerned about that post game? I thought I thought I, he was little. Yes, well, but but also not in some way that they have a definitive. Some that's a very nebulous question in some ways. Like you can't really see into guys' heads as to what they were thinking once it was twenty-eight to nothing. But it is, and I'm sorry, but it's just it's sort of a natural human reaction. Sometimes you're up twenty-eight to nothing. You see this in other sports: basketball teams get out to big leads, and then the other team makes a run. Uh, because it's some of it, it's just kind of a natural human reaction, for lack of a better term. I know that it's not supposed to be. I know you're supposed to have that competitive fire for 60 minutes, but that's not how human brains always work. Um, Especially I, teenager brains. Yeah, I also thought, though, that, that let's also give Florida Atlantic some credit. I thought they did make some adjustments, uh, both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, that's, you know, Lane Kiffin is a, a smart football person. He's not dealing with the same kind of talent that Ohio State is, so this game was going to probably end up the way it was regardless. But I, I, I don't know. I don't think the lull was probably going forward as bad as it looked. I also don't think those first 12 minutes going forward were as good as they looked either. That was kind of an insane way to start a game. If I'm going to play psychiatrist for a minute, I'm going to think the way the reason why he was so worried, because I do think he was worried, it's because he knows that those touchdowns in the first quarter weren't realistic for the rest of the season. Like, I'll give you the Justin Fields 50-yard run because that's a heck of a block. And that's a hole where wide open and now the athlete just gets to be an athlete. The other three, Florida Atlantic just made some boneheaded mistakes that had nothing to do with them just not being as talented. They just were, If I don't care if you're Alabama or Clemson, you make those type of mistakes, you're giving up a touchdown right there. And I think as an offensive mind, he understands that. So, yeah, you're up 28 to nothing, but you're really not up 28 to nothing. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that happened today that you can't count on against Cincinnati, for sure. Um, from our guy Pete Capo on text, Ruckert is leading the team in touchdown receptions, so is this a sign that Urban's H-back role was taking away the tight end targets the last few years, or is Ruckert just undeniable and this is a breakout? It is a sign that they are willing to take the H-back off the field and use the offset tight end in that H-back role. Ruckert was lined up like in the slot standing up a couple times, but more often than not, Luke Farrell was lined up as a tight end, and Ruckert was right next to him a little bit off the line, and then he was running some of those similar routes. The Farrell-Ruckert route combination that got Ruckert open for his first touchdown was awesome. They actually had a three tight end set near the goal line that was that made Ruckert open for his second tight end. I think this is, formationally, it is a decision to use. Urban didn't like taking the H off the field. 
So I think it is a schematic formational decision by Ryan Day based on the fact that they have a guy in Ruckert who can do it. It also didn't happen as much as you thought it did because my snap count, I tried to do a rough snap count for the first three quarters. I had him in in three wide receivers with a regular age back, like 36 snaps and multiple tight ends, like 15 snaps. But when they had multiple tight ends, it was really, really effective. So I think it is I think it is something that is a Ryan Day adjustment, and he has talked about that. You're going to write this about this more, Nathan. Like, what are your expectations for how this, how effective this could be in the weeks ahead? Well, I, I will quibble somewhat with the way the the question is worded because I and, and I wasn't here last year, and I've never met Urban Meyer, so I'm not necessarily sticking up for him. I don't know if it was necessarily his just undying dependence on the H back that maybe took targets and snaps away from the tight ends. But I also think that there's been a growth in that tight end group. It's something that they've been talking about going back to the winter, going back to the spring, this being a group that has gone out and proved itself in practice and in workouts and scrimmages and everything else. And in the way that they carry themselves outside of those things, this is a, it's a group that I think this coaching staff has grown in um, esteem for that. They have more confidence in that group. They have they more trust in that group in ways that, aren't just whether they're being targeted on plays too um because the tight ends you know delve into a lot of other things i was talking to a couple of offensive linemen today about you know what the how the tight ends um, are playing into blocking right now compared to where they were a year ago and how much of a difference that's making in the offense there so it's a group that yes i think some of it is just maybe some of it could be ryan day's preferences but i think it's also a group that has improved to the point you know luke ruckert's uh uh, I'm sorry. No, That's, you just dropped the Indiana basketball <laughs> reference on Jeremy us. Jeremy Record said it best after the game is that last year they had, you know, a lot of you know, the multiple guys who got drafted in the NFL as receivers. It was very hard for these tight ends to really crack that rotation and get targets. And now I think partially because those guys are gone, but partially from their own growth, they see an opportunity to step up and be a bigger part of this offense. I think it's just preference. The, the H was, you know, the bread and butter for Urban Meyer in the spread offense. You know, it wasn't just passing you jet sweeps, the flip pat, all that stuff. The H back was bread and butter. It doesn't necessarily have to be bread and butter in the Ryan Day era, just because it's more pro style, under center stuff, just things where you know, you don't need the H as much outside of like the crossing routes, which are what Ryan Day loves and, Obviously, that's something Justin Fields needs to get better at is throwing those crossing routes. But, yeah, outside of those crossing routes, I just don't see the usage rate being as high for a Ryan Day offense. So it is obviously a large part personnel-related. Um, Ruckert basically took the snaps away from the backup H. K.J. Hill still got 30 snaps. I did, I did, I did a snap count for the first three quarters. K.J. Hill had 30 snaps, which tied Ben Victor for the most among receivers. I had Jalen Gill, the backup H, with two snaps. So, so last year, as you said, Steve— like Paris Campbell and KJ Hill were the two H backs. You weren't nobody was taking snaps away from them. This year they have one really good H back, and then they're not sure. So it makes more sense to well, that's that's right. make sure KJ gets his, but instead of Jalen Gill or CJ Saunders, who's hurt right now, let's try Jeremy Rucker. And I think that is a component of it too. But also take note that it wasn't just that they're splitting a tight end out. They were using those guys in tandem in really specific ways to get the other one open. Like you said, it happened on the first touchdown pass of the game, the one that record over the middle, and it happened later on the one down by the goal line where he was not the first target. Uh, the first read was supposed to go to Farrell, who had lined up as a fullback. When FAU blew that up, it left record wide open, and that's where the second touchdown came from. So it's it, that's what's interesting to me is that it's putting two on the field at once and using them kind of together to give other teams problems. And I think that's a, 
some part of that is like NFL schematic yeah. game planning from Ryan Day, the former NFL guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, <laughs> I didn't watch. I didn't watch this part. I swear I was watching. Five one three. How much longer do we have to watch Pete Werner miss tackles and be late on coverages? The, the oh. guy may have transformed his body. You obviously read the next story, but his game still stinks. Actually, to be fair, I also sent a neck text about Pete Werner. Uh, he had four tackles. I thought I did not notice. There were multiple games last year where you noticed linebackers being out of position, partly for the scheme, from the scheme, partly for other reasons. I certainly today did not feel like there were like the running the linebackers were completely out of position all day. No, I didn't think so either. And I, I would have to go back and watch to see. Sometimes a linebacker might be late in coverage because of the matchup. You know, linebackers are kind of supposed to be late in coverage against certain players. You know, cough, cough, Rondell Moore. Like, it happens when you, you know, teams do that on purpose. So, so you know, let, let's go back and see. I'd have to see more specifically what the example was. Okay, so Pete Warner is supposed to be the linebacker's personal bullet. And the bullet is supposed to be able to guard tight ends. Well, they didn't really do a good job of guarding the tight ends today. Uh, got, the two tight ends come out for 12 catches, 118 yards, and one touchdown. And a lot of that, like outside of maybe like the first four series of each half, you didn't see the bullet a lot. It was Pete Warner on the on the field. So I, I can just from the statistics standpoint, I can kind of see where they're coming from. But I also want to go back and see when those yards came. I feel like a lot of that might have been later in the game. I, I didn't feel like Bryant was a huge part of this game early on. I thought no. they did do a good, decent job either of taking him away or doing things that just prevented uh, Florida Atlantic from really being able to use him. I did notice also on one of the series where they marched and they were using Bryant a little bit, Brendan White made a play on somebody down the field, yeah. and then they got White out and put in Jocelyn Wint to give White a breather, and then Florida Atlantic yeah. went tempo and kept Wint in the game, and yeah. then they threw at Wint a couple times. Yeah. So, um, interesting. Uh, bah, 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 bah. This I, I want Nathan to say his thing that he said. Uh, bah, bah. Is this a normal amount of Buckeye fan misery today, or should we feel extra misery, or is it being spoiled to even ask from the 513 area code? You made a point about like what happened to some other national – powerhouse traditional programs right yeah 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 i mean if you think this is misery go talk to a tennessee fan go talk to a florida fan um you know or florida state i should say i mean those are you know i know t- tennessee's not where it used to be necessarily but and, and florida state isn't a, a top five program or anything right now but those are two people who do not go into today expecting to lose especially in the way that they ended up losing so uh could be worse could be worse did the play calling get too conservative after the first quarter from the three one seven? This is a, a, another thing. People are hitting on the offensive line. People are hitting on the why did they? Why did the offense stagnate? Right. It it looked enough like it maybe was on purpose that Ryan we got, Ryan Day got asked about that. Like, did you sort of like take your foot off the gas on purpose? Maybe because you're and he didn't say that. Right. He seemed more like. Well, we were still trying, and it and it wasn't working. And like, I, I guess maybe he actually maybe did he maybe he did, and he doesn't want to say that. But, but I thought maybe he would have some kind of answer. If you know what, we wanted to try some things early, but then whatever, we got up, we decided we want to make sure we don't get it. You know what I mean? And he didn't. So, I think we we sort of talked about that before. But but did you think going into the press conference that it was possible that they were going to admit to the fact that like, yeah, we got more conservative with the lead? Because we thought that was advantageous for us going forward. Well, what, but what is 
getting more conservative is supposed to look like. It's it's kind of supposed to look like you're handing it off to J.K. Dobbins and he is getting six, seven, eight yards of carry, not four. You know what I mean? So it like might not be that it's just that they ran it and then they didn't run it that well, so then you're punting. Somewhat, yeah. And I think there were – and then also, again, as, as Steven said earlier, those first four possessions, you're dealing with mostly short fields, short-ish fields, and things were just opening up wide open and they hit every single one of them. Like, there was not a whole – they really couldn't have scored very much faster than they did on each of those first four possessions. So, uh, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that they got conservative after that. I also think it's just – it's a byproduct of comparing this, like, thunder, lightning, just explosion early on to what was more just, like, ordinary football in some ways. Yeah, no, I think they took the foot off the gas a little bit because Justin Fields definitely had a big pass – Big throw to Ben Victor after all those touchdowns. That it didn't lead to a touchdown, but it was still a quality catch and a quality play by Ben Victor. I think I, I've, it's a it was a combination of some of the things they tried just didn't work, like some of the run plays. But then also I think some of the play calls in general just like were very very conservative in comparison to some of the play calls they were calling before. Some linebacker questions. If Browning outplays tough this bad the second game, do you see a depth chart change coming from the 4-4-0? Um, and someone asked, uh, Nikki Unders asked, uh, like, I'm sure you're getting this a lot, uh, but why did Pete Warner play so much? I did a snap count post that's up at Cleveland.com. Pete Warner played more snaps than any other linebacker. There was a time in this – at halftime, Baron Browning had more snaps than, t- snaps than Tough Borland. Then they played tough a lot in the third quarter. But the Tough Borland-Baron Browning split at middle linebacker was much more of a split than it was last year when Tough Borland played twice as many snaps for the season as Baron Browning. I think we'll see that going forward. I think they maybe will never take Tough off the depth chart, but I think it might be one of those things where, like, Tough starts, but maybe Baron plays more. But they split middle linebacker somehow. There may be some um... – what I want to say, some some visual, um, not visual, <laughs> with the wrong word. I'm, I'm, the word is escaping me. But there, some of this may just be you don't want to take your captain and make him a backup. Yeah. So uh, don't worry about who the number one guy. Optics. That's the word I was looking for. Good. Optics. Don't worry about who's listed first on the depth chart or who's listed for, first, when, especially when there's an or. Look at the snap count later, which we'll, I think will you know us or other outlets are going to be putting those out pretty routinely I would say throughout the season look at the snap count who plays more is actually more important than who's in there at the start and who's listed on paper because that doesn't really mean anything they didn't list two tight ends on paper going into this game on the depth chart but they had two in there to start the game today so and they did Pete Warner played more than any linebacker because they played three linebackers almost all the time and they didn't play their backup Sam so they played right. Taraja Mitchell and Baron Browning they played five linebackers but Mitchell and Browning don't play the same position that Pete Warner does so Pete Warner could come off the field for the bullet, but today they never did that. They never pulled, they never played three corners and the bullet together. It was always either the bullet or the third corner. It was Brendan White or Sean Wade, but it was always Pete Warner. So that, so Harrison and Browning took some snaps, excuse me, Mitchell and Browning took some snaps from Borland and Harrison. Nobody took snaps from Pete. That's why Pete played so much. And then the other thing is, in nickel on third and long, it was Harrison and Browning as the two linebackers on the field. But, like, they didn't play Kayvon Pope or Dallas Gant or somebody behind Werner. So that's why he played so much. And I thought they might. I thought those guys might get a little bit more look than they did tonight. But this also could change depending on the next opponent. They, may, Like you said, they didn't really play any standard nickel or very much standard nickel. unless, Sorry, unless it was a third and 
legitimately long situation, 10, 11, 12, 14 yards. So that may change. There may be other opponents where they have to go to nickel in other circumstances. I want to ask you this one, Stephen, from the 3-1-2. Does Ryan Day's offense include power run? Always seemed like Urban's offense, while still the spread, was oriented around a power run game. Should we be concerned none of the running backs were able to get much into much of a group? I, I want to take that power run question and put it on the quarterback. Because a lot of time, I mean, all the, again, the jokes about empty set run JT Barrett, it didn't seem like they did a lot of, or maybe any of, like, let's just snap it to Justin Fields and then tell him to, to get up field. Do you, and that would be maybe one of those where you're trying to protect him. Do you think he could do that with his skill set? Do you think they should do that with the options they have on offense? Or is that a smart removal from the game plan? We're not going to use our quarterback as a battering ram the way they use JT that way for four years. Yeah, I think Justin Fields is a great runner in the open field, but he's not the type of runner JT Barrett is, where, like, JT Barrett's basically a fullback who's lowering his shoulder, and it's third and two, and you need those yards, and he gets those yards, even if Michigan fans question it at times. Justin Fields is a guy when, like, let's just take the 50. Like, when he gets out in the open field, he's amazing. Like, Terrell Pryor, once he gets some speed behind him, that acceleration kicks in, he's gone. I don't think you have because in his body type doesn't necessarily, you know, cater to him being a we're going to give you the ball on third and two and make you punch it in there. He's never going to be that type of guy that plus like the drop off of talent between him and the guys behind him, whether it's chugging off or it's Gunnar Hoke. Gunnar Hoke warmed up with the twos during warmups, but then Chug got the, got the got the nod at the end of the game. It's a combination of, yeah, we don't want our quarterback to get hurt, but also he actually might get hurt the way JT Barrett wouldn't have gotten hurt in those situations. It's, it's, I mean, it's an interesting consideration. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to think about, especially in week one. Yeah. Uh, George Bevan in the two two five. Is this a convincing win for Ryan Day? Nathan, is this a convincing win? You know, I guess everybody's – that's a very opinion question because everybody's – I know there's a lot of Ohio State fans out there who see 28 to nothing in the first quarter and 45 to 21 doesn't look convincing. Um, but there was never a time when I thought Ohio State wasn't in control of this game. So by that standard, I would say yes. But it's not as emphatic as, as it maybe could have been once they were up 28 to nothing. I'll ask you this, Stephen. We're going to start going a little more lightning round. From the 619, should Master Teague get more touches? We saw him basically in garbage time. DeMario was clearly the second back. Do you think Master Teague should get the ball with the game still in in the first half of the first three quarters. So he's taking those snaps away from DeMario and McCall? Is from that, from DeMario question? and maybe from J.K.? No, not from J.K. J.K. needs it. And if he's going to be your guy the way they've talked about he's going to be your guy, then let him be your guy. I think with the second running back, it's all about what you want to do. Like DeMario McCall, McCall ran the ball, what, two times for 11 yards today. He's clearly the, the in a passing situation back. Master Teague is that you hand the ball off to that guy, you let him get some yards. So it, it depends on what you want to use that number two running back for. If you want to use him in a third down situation where it's only for passing, then DeMario McCall needs to get those snaps. So, so, th- so, so let's say this. Let's talk about the second running back in terms of, like, you get a series. Mm-hmm. Or you get – or we just – you know, we're on a 12-play drive. It's right. play seven. Somebody's got to come in for play eight because J.K.'s tired. Who should that be? If you're running, Teague. If you're passing, if you just plan on passing the ball – Demario McCall, but you also can't you can't let personnel no, you dictate can't. and no, you tip can't. defenses. But off. like it, it, that's like it's. I think it's clearly. I mean, it's Demario right now. Oh, the answer oh, to that question oh, is Demario. No, no, no. Teague didn't come in until it, the not, game was actually, over. Actually, it's not because 
J.K. Dobbins played in all but one series this entire game, and during that series, the majority of those snaps went to uh, went to Teague. So it actually might in in the scenario you just painted, it might be Teague. Teague had more carries than Demario today. Yeah, so it, it Teague did have more him. carries than Demario. However, we also know that Teague missed some time in the preseason. I don't know how much of that was trying to get him a lot of reps, getting him touches, get him some snaps because he needed to catch up on him. I think a little bit from the four four zero. If Haskins played this game instead of Fields, how would the offense have performed? Uh, it seems like Haskins would have been under a ton of pressure and he wouldn't have been able to escape the way Fields does. I think my answer is the same as what Stevens is going to go ahead with your answer. The way Haskins get, is getting rid of the ball quicker. So yeah, the pressure might be the same, but it's not like he's rolling out trying to make something happen before he gets rid of the ball. Uh, he, he would have let the ball go. He would have thrown more over the middle, hit some of those crossing routes and he wouldn't have held the ball the way, the way Justin did. I think of, of the list of things like not to be concerned about. This is not a concern game. This is still a curiosity game to me of we need to find out more. There are not things that I'm pointing to and saying like, oh, man, that's a problem. But of the things of that for me are Justin holding the ball and sitting, 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 sitting in the pocket. When you guys watch that, is that where is that on your list of things? Or do you think, no, that's fine. That'll work itself out. Guys will get open. He's a great athlete. He'll be fine. Well, I think he probably needs more time learning to read defenses in some ways than he does abandoning the pocket and just taking off. Um, so, you know, I, again, from, from, I, there, there's, there are certain judgments that have to be reserved until the game ends. They spend a couple of days rehashing it, going over it, steadying it implementing those things into practice and then coming out next week. I think I, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's taking a pass to understand that that's the process that works out, that uh, this is a week to week thing to, to some extent, at least this early in season with certain positions on this team. And I, I want to see more what happens next week before we start to make, you know, big general um, impressions of this offense. I think dual threat quarterbacks tend to be turnover prone it kind of comes with the territory the trade-off is they can make a play on their own but you know they might turn the ball over every so often so I think in a situation where some of those may have led to an interception just because of where he is in his development right now if he's holding the ball a little bit longer against a less a lesser talented team I'll live with it if he's still doing it when we get to the Nebraska's and the Northwestern's and the Penn State's then it's a problem I agree with that. Seven three four. I like the under center stuff and love the defense. Um, he's asking about Justin when he is under center and then rolling out, hold on to the ball too long. Again, I think it's just he's trying to not make a mistake. Um, I like the under center stuff. Do you think the under center stuff can be a, a wrinkle for them going forward? Yeah, I love it. One, because of something J.K. Dobbins said the first time we ever asked him about what the under center thing can do for the running game. It allows you to run downhill a little bit more, and you don't have to kind of gear yourself up. You're already going. So from a run game standpoint, it's, it's beautiful. And we saw what it can do for the passing game, especially for the tight ends and the goal line situation. So, yeah, it's a great wrinkle for you know where college football is headed, and that's back to how the NFL is run right now. I will say that someone asked why are they doing under center something now with Justin Fields when they didn't do any under center stuff with Haskins last year. The way things work, like to snap to snap it to Haskins in the shotgun, and just he doesn't have to backpedal. He can start immediately diagnosing the defense. Like it's, the shotgun is not like a running quarterback formation. It's like a sit back and throw and pick defenses apart formation. So um, I actually think I actually think some of the under center stuff makes more sense with Justin. But again, it's not really 
Under center is not a Haskins field adjust, fields adjustment. It is a Ryan Day's offense versus Urban Meyer's offense adjustment. I would imagine Ryan Day suggested some stuff in the previous two years of let's get under center, and Urban was like, nah. And now Ryan Day wants to get under center at least every now and then. And I, it's also an adjustment for the rest of the offensive line, too, in some ways, especially the center. Josh Myers was asked about it and said that it wasn't really that much of a change for him. It, it was it was easier than he expected. So I would imagine it is something that they'll work in even more as they go along. Two-part question from the 734, our friend Marlon Hopgood. I'll get to the second part. Is Chris Olave the best player on the offense, or is Chris Olave the best player on the offense? He thinks Chris Olave is the best player on the offense. Do we think Chris Olave is the best player on the no, offense? No, he's not. He was the best player on the offense today. So who's the best player on the offense? Probably Jake. Oh, uh, either okay. The, the guy who averaged four point three yards per carry. Is, okay, I, no, I actually think I it think might be Chris Olave. Being the best player and like playing like the best player are two different questions. I'm not abandoning you, J.K. I just thought. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not sure those those first two tight ends aren't the best all around football players on the offense. I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna be a good dad, Stephen. <laughs> Luke Farrell is like Luke Farrell is a Northeast Ohio guy. Luke Farrell is like so important to this offense because yeah. they brought Ruckert in. I think my snap count again. I think I had Farrell at like 42 snaps and Ruckert at like 18. Yeah. Ruckert had the two touchdowns. When Ruckert's in the game, they throw to him, but they're playing Ruckert off of Farrell. Exactly. He's the wrinkle. Farrell off. had Farrell had the the pick, more or less, that sprung the first touchdown catch that Ruckert had. Um, again, Farrell was the one that they line up in that sort of offset fullback in motion situation uh, that led to the second record touchdown. Um, and he's a guy that they trust more as an all-around tight end. He's the one that they trust more to do just the, the basic blocking and things that you need a tight end to do. And the better, and maybe not even more so than anybody else in that unit, but the combination of what he does as a blocker with what he can do as a receiver, which isn't the ceiling that Ruckert has, but is still productive enough, that combination is why he's on the field 42 snaps. To put that shortly, Farrell was the decoy today for Ruckert's good game. And I do think... There were a couple snaps where Ruckert was in instead of Farrell. Ruckert was in every now and then with yeah. just one tight end in the game. But I think Ruckert's better when he's in with Farrell. I, I agree. I, and I think I'm, I'm eager to, to look back on the film and, and kind of delve more into the 12 personnel stuff because I think it's going to be really interesting. How, not just on those two touchdowns, but just how it affected the whole offense. And they, they're just, they can both do both, but they're like a very interesting combination. And Rashad Berry was out today. And they played Jake Houseman, had like nine snaps in my three-quarter snap count. Um, I just, I understand, again, sort of talking again about the H-back stuff. Again, if you, and you're going to go back and watch it, I understand why they want Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert in there together. Because they can do some stuff. And I think you saw some, some, some formations where they've got, you know, they're double tight, they're kind of stacked up. But pretty much in every single one of those situations, they were running it. I don't think that's going to be the case all season. I think they're getting a lot of that on film, and then somebody's going to get burned by it eventually. Absolutely. Uh, I want to, we're going to have to end soon. From the 630, there's a little bit of a vibe to this. And again, this is the text thing. I'm the texting guy. So some people were did not, did not like, most of my text people did not like the 9 and 3 pick. Huh. And now there's a couple of these kind of texts sneaking in from the 630 area code. Nine and three, Doug, may not look so funny anymore. Like, some people watched that game today and thought, hmm, maybe they actually will go nine and three. You guys picked 10 and two and 11 and one. You're probably both still going to be closer to right. 
But are you is nine and three any more believable to you after this game than it was before this game? Sure. What if they had one of those weird years um, where they open with a Big Ten team? What if they'd opened against Iowa today? Do they win this game? What if I was six foot eight, two forty, and from Akron, Ohio? Well, but the thing is, but they're gonna they're gonna they open with Minnesota next year, maybe or two years from now. They opened with Indiana last year. Like they've switched it. Yeah. That it I'm used to be like you, they... it used to be like Jeff Halfley said you don't get preseason games. It used to be every team opened with a team like this, and this is your preseason game. Right. This was their preseason game. That's what I'm Some... saying. They could easily have opened up against a team a lot better than this because they never schedule anymore. They never make the big non-conference game the first game. They'll never play Oklahoma or Oregon in the first game. But because the Big Ten once every now and then to have a Big Ten opener for the Big Ten Network. And Ohio State's a draw. They've now created this world where the Big Ten never used to open with a conference game. All right. And sometimes they will. So that's the toughest opener Ohio State could ever have is a Big Ten game. And, like, if they played – but they're also never going to play like a really good Big Ten team. They're going to play like the seventh best Big Ten team. And if they had played the seventh best Big Ten team today, I think they probably still would have won – but they wouldn't have gotten some of those freebie first quarter scores that Florida Atlantic gave. Right. And, you know, why did Northwestern win the West last year? Because they went in week one on the road and beat Purdue. They beat a bowl team on the road in week one on a Thursday night. Like, that's the kind of stuff that uh, sometimes teams are asked to do. You, you have to show up with a, you know, a, a better performance than, in some ways, what I, I agree. I think Ohio State still would have beaten a team like that. I don't. I mean, not Iowa, but a team in the bottom half of the of the conference. Um, but it does make you. It does give you pause. It does make you. There are enough things today that that could have gone really, really wrong. Um, that it, it gives you pause. Talk to me next week. I don't think a week one, yeah, performance with this many new pieces lets me think this is going to be a nine and three or any type of. Like, talk to me next week, and then I'll have a better answer for you. I, I will say this: like in the end, for. Nine minutes, I felt like an idiot. I was like, well, yeah. See you, whatever, see you in the playoff, you stupid nine and three ding dong. And then for the last 51 minutes, I was like, okay, like that's why I said nine and three. Right. Like, not that it's terrible, but just that, like, okay, Justin's not letting it go. Okay, like the offensive line's not great right away. Like, okay, the receivers are making some catches. We like the 12 personnel, but. You know, the light, the passing game when they're covering guys isn't lighting it up. You know, they're not, they're not marching down the field with repeated 10 play drives. It wasn't bad, but it just, um, it, to me, again, looked like something that's on its way to something, which I think it, I think it's going to take more than one week to get there. So I feel, I feel, I feel, I don't feel more confident nine and three, but I don't feel like as a, a I don't feel like a complete idiot about nine and three that if they would have, if they would have won seventy-eight to nothing, I mean, all the text questions would just be like, "What's up, Doug? You yep. stupid!" You know, like we know that, and we, and and you should. That's what the question should have been, but they're not that because everybody saw that same last three quarters that right. made you say, "Okay, maybe they're not perfect yet." Um, somebody who gets us was Bill Davis calling the offensive plays today from the two three nine. Always appreciate questions like that, um, Stephen. Do you think in some respects Ryan Day was outcoached today? Lane Kiffin made effective adjustments. You know, like Florida Atlantic didn't get anything going early, yeah. and they, they were able to move the ball a little bit late. Perhaps Ryan was intentionally keeping the offense vanilla. Did you have any instinct of, like, what's up, Ryan Day? That's a good question. 
Yeah, kind of. Just because I, some of those were just bonehead plays, but yeah, there were some clear adjustments that were made after the first 15 minutes of the game where I don't think Ohio State ever really adjusted to them. They got conservative and just kind of stuck with the program. They didn't, that, they, and they didn't really, I mean, they didn't need to make any adjustments. They were clearly the better team, but yeah, I, I do think there was a bit of, Lane Kiffin went from like how he was talking all week where it's like, yeah, no, we shouldn't be playing a team like this to like, all right, well, we're going to play chess now that we're here and kind of showed if the talent level was a little more even, this may have been a competitive game. Uh, It's funny. I realized as I sent out the call for questions like at the end of the third quarter. And so I can see there are (laughs) questions in here. Like one of the questions is like, why is Jocelyn Wint still in the game? And it's like, oh, yeah, you're now watching that series where they tempoed you and they had to keep Wint in the game and they threw it in two times and the guy made the back shoulder. It's like, oh, yeah, it's funny. Um, we'll get to a couple. I want to I get to a couple at the end of the game. Um, the Josh Proctor interception, there's a question from the 513. Uh, people, the, people think Josh Proctor is going to be really good. He had the pick late, you know, covered some ground, you know. The dude who threw it is not good, yeah. but also Josh Proctor covered some ground on that. Did that open your eyes at all? Sure, yeah. I, I, and I think I, I think I even said this um, in something we, we were talking about the other day, maybe on the on the podcast midweek about those are the kind of guys that I think determine whether or not this is a ten and two, nine and three team, or whether it's maybe something more. Because those guys are going to have to play, and those guys are going to have to flash pretty consistently. And, and make plays like that. It was a really, you know, great diving interception kind of play. They don't always always have to be a takeaway or some big thing. But when when those guys are in the game, it can't be a letdown. And, and and that certainly wasn't. I think that was a combination of a guy who we think can flash and be really be good, flashing and being really really good. But he did it against somebody where, ah, so congr- great play. Just like unfortunate that it came against somebody where like, yeah, you should probably pick that guy off. It's funny. It's like like Josh Proctor's good, right? Yeah. But the only place for him to play right now is in Jordan Fuller's spot. And so as they're like working to Roger Mitchell and Baron Browning in, as they always rotate the defensive uh, the defensive lineman, I'm I'm a little bit curious for would they ever start giving Proctor some of Fuller's snaps? But my instinct is maybe no. And this might just be a case of like you have two really good deep safeties and you're only playing one, so I don't know what to tell you. Because even when they did play two deep safeties a couple times. Um, on the nickel package, they played Isaiah Pryor. They didn't play Proctor because that's almost like a different position. This is like this is our super third and long nickel look, almost a dime look. Like are we like we're not? That's different than just playing deep safety. I feel like if Jordan Fuller got ejected or was hurt, Josh Proctor would play for him. But in the meantime, Jordan Fuller is like really good and is a senior. And and I think Josh Proctor just might have to wait another year. Malik yeah. Hooker had to wait two years here too. You got two really good deep safeties, but unlike other positions where it's like, why aren't you rotating these guys? It's like the one position where if they don't rotate, you don't have a problem with it. All right, let's end with this. Uh, I like Chip Munn. Chip Munn is like up my butt with a coconut about this 9-3 and three record. Chip Munn, Doug, I'm not asking questions, but instead typing my observations. I would like to hear your thoughts on the following 12 points. Wow. All right, we'll get to those in part two of this podcast. <laughs> that is getting your money from your tech subscription. I admire the, t- the tenacity. Um, is this the filing the year Ohio State uses the two tight ends, Dan at Scarlet, Dan Gray? Yes. I think, we're, I think Nathan's yes. going to dig into that more, but like, I think yes. Um, and let's end with this. This is a nice overarching question to wrap this up from the 614. 
Uh, no, not from the 614. I want it to be from the 913. In general, we'll start with Steven. Should Buckeye fans be encouraged or discouraged? Neither. I think you should take this as what it is, is college football's version of a preseason game. I think there were some positives, there were some negatives, and there are some things that really are irrelevant. This is a neither situation. I think any emotions you want to have about this team, I understand the fan base wants to have an emotion after every single snap. But if you're going to have any emotions, save them for next week when you can make a better case for what's wrong and what's right. I like a, what he, a lot of what he said. I will say, though, I would lean encouraged. I mean, think of the things that were just the big problems last year that people had concerns about needing to be reversed coming into this year. Run defense. They crushed this team running the ball defensively early, you know, for the first three quarters at least. you got a brand-new quarterback. How is he going to, you know, take care of the ball? Other than the the bubble screen backwards pass, and I don't know if that's more on him for throwing it a little bit behind Wilson or Wilson – not securing it correctly, whatever. One miscue, but only the one turnover. Um, I, I thought there was more positive than negative as far as laying a foundation for, again, what they do this week going into next week. But it wasn't, obviously, the just maybe to revise the answer I gave earlier. It wasn't the emphatic just blow them out, destroy them win that I think a lot of people probably want. But I also don't know how realistic that is. To Stephen's point about, like, next week, the thing that has happened a lot, like, and it happens to good teams, but Cincinnati is much, much better than Florida Atlantic. Yeah. However, I would not at all be surprised if Ohio State, like, beats up Cincinnati far more than they beat up Florida well, Atlantic. Because Ohio State's a lot better than Cincinnati, too, in and, theory, on paper. And it's one of, like, they're going to be on them this week yeah. about having a letdown. They're going to be able to make some adjustments off what worked and what didn't work. They're going to be on JK. They're going to be on the, the, the offensive line. And I think some people this week are going to start talking about, man, this game is going to be competitive. And maybe it is. But I also think like 52 to 10 is on the table for next week because this wasn't really them. This was the just the start of them. And, and now they'll start to figure out how to get to be them. But I wanted to bring up something specifically, Nathan, to you. You guys started something that you're going to write every Friday called the Friday focus, which is basically like sort of like the big thing, the most important thing, a, a deep dive on like what is really important about the football aspect of this game. And you wrote about tackling and the defense. Did they miss tackles today? I don't remember again, very I, many missed tackles. Today. Yeah. And, and now, but again, uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's easier to not miss tackles against Florida Atlantic than it is against, the majority of the teams that against the teams that truly decide how good of a season this is for Ohio State. So again, yeah, I thought I thought from that perspective, I thought there were two things, you know, and it wasn't just me. Ryan Day himself said it. What are the two things that had to happen today? It was tackling and it was ball security. And they were, I thought, really good in tackling. I again, I, I don't think there were a lot of ep- episodes of, of poor tackling, but the ball security is is much more of an issue. I thought after some of the things we saw today. That's something that that opens the door for an upset in a way that nothing else does. And that's something they have to get sharper with. And Jeff Halfley, after the game, when I was asking him about the defense, I said, like, how, you know, you're a new coach. You hadn't ever seen these guys play before. He said, I was really curious about that. I was really curious about just us, like, attacking, running to the ball, just playing tough and physical. And, like, I was really happy with it in the first half. Um, so that really matters. Like I think of on, on all the list of all the things that people were most concerned about, what's the number one thing you wanted to see today as an Ohio State fan? It wasn't the offense. 
it was the defense. You wanted to see this defense yep. look like an Ohio State defense again. And yes, the second team gave up the touchdown late. And yes, Florida Atlantic moved the ball a little bit. But I thought they got back to that to a large degree, schematically and with personnel. So I think that's a win. And I would say you should be encouraged, even though I'm saying this win made me think nine and three is, yes, it is possible. I think mostly if you're discouraged today, and this is okay, I think it's more about you. And I think it's more (laughs) about your expectations for this team and your expectations for how they're supposed to look in week one with a new coach and a new quarterback and a new offensive line. And I thought this was completely normal. And that also means this a nine and three season in its own way could be completely normal. But if you thought they were, they didn't look like Clemson today. They didn't look like Bama. I get it. But like right now they aren't that they're in the range of it, but they aren't Clemson and Bama, right? Right. They haven't been for the last three years. So if you want them to be Clemson and Bama and you want them, you can't snap your finger and be Clemson and Bama. You want to climb back to that. And maybe they'll be there by the end of this year under Ryan Day with Justin Fields as his new quarterback. But they were never going to look like Clemson or Bama today. That was never going to happen. The week ahead is one of those weeks that tests a team's makeup in some ways. Because the hardest thing to do in sports, I think especially for 18, 19, 20-year-old people, is to... Find the things that you did poorly in a win, maybe, and especially a win that was a comfortable win, and attack those the next week. You have to find a way to kind of put aside what the result of the game was and and burrow down in on those things that you did poorly. It's a really difficult thing to do, um, but that's what the really great teams figure out a way to do, and that's what Ohio State's kind of charging itself with is is finding a way to do that this week. You were looking at me googly-eyed when I was making that point. Yeah, because (laughs) – I just think all that is funny coming from you because you're the one who predicted nine and three, which I mean, yeah, there are some moments today where it looked like they could go nine and three, but now it just it just seems like you're like trying to like <laughs> console the person now that they're on your side. It's like it's okay. No, but that you're not wrong. It's just like funny to hear you be the one. It's like you brought the bad news, and now you're like, it's okay. It's like I've been telling you the bad news all along, and you didn't believe me. Yeah, but and now, now you're like, oh, I might believe you, and it's like I know. But it's, it's, it's like no, okay. it's like no, it's almost like you want to be like I told you so, but now it's actually happened. It's like man, I kind of feel bad for you. Yeah, no, I think well, that I think that's an astute point because that that is it, and that and part of my nine and three pick was just trying to inject some realism into a conversation, and and it's not. And the realism is you are not Bama or Clemson. You're not. There's only two teams at that level right now, and you are not one of them. And and that's okay. But I, I completely agree that you have the potential to be that, and that should be your goal. So view this year as a march toward that, not an instantaneous overnight Ryan Day's a genius and Justin Fields is a Heisman candidate transformation into Bama and Clemson. It is a march. And, and, and I think there were – but part of that march, I think the first part of that march was not Justin Fields. And you've been saying it, Stephen, and you're right. You need a quarterback like that with a top end who can throw the ball, who can be dynamic to be one of those guys. You do need that. But if you didn't get this defense straightened out, you were never going to get there. If you looked like – so Oregon State last year, Dwayne Haskins threw for 793 yards. And they were missing tackles mm-hmm. and letting Oregon State run free. And Oregon State was better than at Florida Atlantic, but Oregon State stunk. And they ran free and 
put up yards yeah. on this Ohio State defense. And that did not happen today. So, yes, I am much more encouraged than discouraged. I think to kind of speak to the point of the march, I don't think the march is like taking the step back at 9-3. and three. I think the, the march is part of the reason why I'm so confident on the 11-1 and one mark, and I'll, I'm going to not go into a whole spiel about this. I think that's a, a great jump start of, hey, we went 11-1 and one with this much new. Imagine what happens after we've had a full 24 months of this un- of everybody, the coaching staff, your quarterback. Obviously, uh, J.K. Dobbins may or may not be here next year. Chase Young will not after be here. After today, he might not be yeah. He might be here yeah. now. So it's a mayor. Good may news not. is J.K. Dobbins is coming <laughs> yeah. back. Okay, the number two on offense may be here next year. The number two on defense will not be here next yeah. year, but there are talented guys behind him. So the, que- the, the thing is, especially from the offensive end, is, hey – we went 11 and 1 and our starting quarterback got here in January. Four of our defensive co- coaching staff got here in January. We had to pretty much revamp our entire defense and we went 11 and 1 and got to the Rose Bowl. Now imagine what happens when we've had a full year of all these guys. And I think that's where the march is where like this is the year where hey, we're a little better than we thought we were going to be and now the excitement is there for next year. But if you go 9 and 3 and think you're going to go from 9 and 3 to all of a sudden you're going to be in a championship conversation, a year from now, I just don't see that. All right, I have a point to make that we'll end with. Nathan, what's your last thing? Uh, mine was just going to be that, again, I, 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 and I wrote about it coming into this game. I wrote about it in my first analysis. I, you're right. It's, a lot of the, I, I just had a lot more questions about defense. I think defense was the thing that fans, whoever, the team itself, had to come out of today's game with a lot more confidence in. I will say that from what we saw today, this doesn't look like an offense that's going to – I know we saw it in those first 12 minutes, but realistically, I don't know if this is a – going to be a consistent big play offense. They're not going to do the things that they did last year. They're going to have to be able to grind more consistently, grind long drives. You didn't see enough of that today. That is something they have to be better at starting next Saturday. All right, so we'll wrap with this, and it's it's the idea, and you hammered it home at the end of your thing, Stephen, that I completely disagree with your last point, which is my 9-3 and three is not a step back in the march. It is not a step sideways in the march. It is – a fundamental part of the march in my mind. And so my nine and three is not a failure that sets back the program. My nine and three is a step forward, is an adjustment, is a is a climb toward Bama and Clemson. And on the way there, because it's hard to get there, and there are some aspects where they're not there right now. Along the way, you go nine and three. But I would think to me, my nine and three can get them to the same place in 2020 that your 11 and one can. And, and I, to me, the difference between my nine and three and your 11 and one is like four plays against Nebraska and three plays against Michigan. And everything else is like, it's the, it's the thing I wrote the other day when we all did our predictions. It's the good loss. It's the sometimes you lose to good teams. And maybe I'll be wrong, but, but to me, like th- today, is what I expected, and it's what I expected completely in a world where, like, if you had asked me right now, I'm picking Ohio State to make the playoff in 2020. And this is the first step toward the 2020 playoffs. And 11 of those other steps this year are going to leave them at 9-3. and three. But not a 9-3 and three that's going to depress you as a fan, not a 9-3 and three that's going to ruin Ohio State's reputation or make people think Ryan Day can't do it or make you give up on Justin Fields. I think it's a 9-3 and three that may, is going to make you believe all those things. It's just going to be 
a little bit hard at times. That's all. I'm just gonna end in this. All I that was great, by the way, and I completely see where you're coming from. But all I heard from that is the good thing is they go eleven and one or nine and three. But if they go ten and two, like you predicted, they're in trouble. <laughs> Nathan is trapped in the soft middle of mediocrity. Uh, that's a long post game pod. It's not. It's not like a Wednesday pod, but. Again, we're going to do tech subscribers only on the post-game pod. So if you – we try to get as many questions as we can. The good thing was a lot of your questions were the same question. Um, but we want them all. We want them all. You're paying for it. You deserve the right. We can't get to them all, but we want, we're going to read them all, and we're going to think about them all. Projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. It's $3.99 a month, and it's free for the first 14 days to try it out. So try it out and at least get your questions in for Cincinnati and Indiana, Right? And then if you if you don't like it, then stop. But at least you'll get your questions in. Wednesdays, we'll do tech subscriber questions and some Twitter questions. We'll try to get back to Gmail questions. So we appreciate all you guys. Um, we'll be back with Ryan Day and assistant coaches and players on Tuesday. But we have a lot of uh, stories that we're going to drop on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday morning on the way to that, on the march toward Tuesday. Some of our stories might not be great. They might be nine and three quality stories, but we're going to throw them out there. And, and, and get to Tuesday. So, from the concourse in Ohio Stadium, with trash bags and, and some golf carts driving around us, he's Stephen Means, he's Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.